Hi, everybody. Thank you for welcoming us again into your home. We are continuing on our series about listening like Jesus, and we've been looking at several of the facets of, of some of the things that Jesus was doing in his showing us how to better listen in our conversations. Uh, one of the things that we notice about Jesus in his conversations is that he asked great questions. We're looking at a text today from John's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 1 to 15. It's about a man that Jesus heals by a pool called Bethesda. And, uh, you know, great listeners are also great question askers. They ask great questions. Now, I think the worst question that we can possibly ask is the question that was never asked. And uh, we learn this the hard way. Often when we interview people for, uh, for work, uh, we spend a great deal of time thinking about what questions to ask, because that's the time to ask all the pertinent questions and get as much information as possible. And I think you and I have all uh, bought things in the past, maybe a car or a house, where we say later, I wish I'd asked that question. That would have saved us a lot of grief. And I think, too, there are, there are really dumb questions. I, I think a dumb question might be, did that hurt? <laughs> it's obvious it really did hurt. And then there are questions intended to prove how smart we are. I, I think uh, every classroom has a student that, that will ask the teacher questions. Uh, they really know the answer already, but they're trying to prove for the rest of the class how smart they are. And it's frustrating to the other students in the class. And you can see them roll their eyes as, as the student tends to uh, try to prove how smart they are by asking questions. So Jesus arrives in, in Jerusalem for Passover. He's apparently alone, uh, not with the disciples. He's by himself. And he was uh, touring around the city, and he came to a pool called Bethesda. And it was a famous pool. And in our text, you'll notice, as when we read it in a few seconds, it says that there is a pool. And, and this is really an important text for dating the Gospel of John. Because uh, at 70 AD, Jerusalem was destroyed. There was no more pool. And if this book, if this text was written after 70 AD, he would have said there was a pool. But he says there is a pool. And that helps to date the gospel being prior to 70 AD, cl closer to the life and times of Jesus and, and showing a little bit more of its uh, authenticity as a history of the life of Christ. It also tells us, because he's, he's telling his listeners, he's telling his readers that they're about this pool, that they're probably not that familiar with Jerusalem, that so his audience, his listeners, are probably not Jewish people, because every Jew uh, had to travel to Jerusalem several times during their lifetime in order to attend the temple. And so, Jesus, so John is probably writing to a non-Jewish audience. He's writing before 70 AD. We know that from this particular story, which is interesting. Now, you'll also notice in our text that uh, most of our versions leave out verse 4. In verse 4, it says that an angel came down and stirred the waters, and this resulted in some healing properties. Um, the earliest manuscripts don't include that, and it's thought that this has been a scribal addition to the text to try to explain why the people are uh, around the pool waiting for a certain time before they entered. It, it probably had some medicinal qualities in the pool. Maybe it was kind of like a mineral spring or something like that where people would feel rejuvenated or refreshed by going into the water. But uh, it was basically superstition that an angel came down and stirred the water and, 
And uh, this is left out of our text because it's thought to be a scribal edition later to try to explain why the pool, people are waiting around the pool. So here's our text, John chapter 5. I want to read verse 1 to 9. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. Well, I'm trying to get in. Someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured and picked up his mat and walked. Let's pray. So Father, we pray that you would help us to ask questions like Jesus asked, so that we can listen like Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for this wonderful story of the man that Jesus healed by the pool. Help us to learn from it. Help us to grow. Help us to improve our skill as listeners. In your name we pray. Amen. Now notice the question in verse 6. Do you want to get well? Now that's a profound question. It doesn't have a really simple or really easy answer. You see, sometimes people can become acclimated to their illness and uh, basically become so used to it that they don't think beyond it uh, and don't really uh, think about getting well. They've just, sometimes people just give up hope in the midst of their illness or their, their infirmity. And, and you know, in, in perhaps in this case, people become uh, accustomed to the lifestyle and perhaps prefer the lifestyle of, of, and this man would have been a beggar, and in those days, in the first century, because of the Jewish emphasis in Jerusalem on almsgiving, a beggars could make a decent living begging in the streets, and uh, they could keep their own schedule, and they were pretty free to do whatever they want. And maybe he becomes so comfortable with a lifestyle that Jesus asked this very legitimate question, do you really want to get well? And that's an important question to ask ourselves when we're in the midst of uh, challenging or, or difficulties. Have we simply become accustomed to them? Do we not see anything different? Do we, do we really uh, put our faith in Jesus, or are we just continuing to get along with what's going on in our lives? The man doesn't answer really Jesus' question. He just gives him an excuse. He says, I, I can't get down to the water because uh, when the water stirred, I have no one to help me. This is an amazing answer to the question because you think for 38 years, this guy hasn't been able to find a friend to help him get into the water, even a fellow uh, uh, infirm person that they could both get into the water together somehow. And yet that's his answer. And Jesus doesn't lecture him about superstition or about uh, the fact that it, it seems a bit strange that in 38 years he hadn't found a way to get in the water. Uh, Jesus doesn't even introduce himself. Only later, in about verse 13, does this man actually find out that this is Jesus. He doesn't know who Jesus is. Jesus just simply tells him, get up, take up your bat, and walk. He doesn't ask him about his faith. 
In fact, the paralytic evidently has no faith. This, this miracle is not based on the paralytic's faith. It's just simply based on the friendship and the grace and the loving heart of Jesus seeing this man in a difficult situation and telling him to get up, walk. He was healed. Now later, Jesus tells him to stop sinning or something worse may happen to him. Say, what? <laughs> That's an interesting conversation. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. I think Jesus was referring to eternal life or eternal death. I think Jesus was talking about his eternal destiny and the importance of getting himself right with God so that he could spend eternity with the Father uh, in heaven. And, and uh, but, but what's, what's curious here is that there's, there's no sinner's prayer here. That Jesus does not try to uh, force or make or ask the person to convert to uh, believing in him. Uh, there, there's no recommendations to attend a synagogue. Uh, Jesus doesn't give him a business card. Jesus doesn't exchange uh, email addresses or uh, encourage him to listen to his blog. Uh, Jesus just asks him this question, do you want to get well? And leaves it there. Jesus often did that. Jesus asked questions and left people wondering and searching because he trusted the power of the Holy Spirit in people's lives to draw people to the Father. Other examples of great questions that Jesus asked, the, the, the Gospels are full of them. To Peter after his betrayal, do you truly love me more than these? Wow, that is a profound question that we need to ask often of ourselves. Remember, Jesus asked the disciples one time, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Remember that one. Or one time he said to the disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you remember the context? There was a storm. The disciples were in the boat. They were afraid of drowning. And Jesus calms the storm and he says, why are you so afraid? Jesus also asked the question one time, why do you doubt? Do you remember the context? It was just after Peter had struck out to walk on the water toward Jesus and he sunk when he took his eyes off Jesus and Jesus asked him why he was doubting. Another profound, deep question. Well, this leads us to think about what really makes a great question. Well, Dale Carnegie once said, you can make more friends in two months by being interested in other people than you can in two years by trying to get other people interested in you. Great questions are intended to clarify. Great questions show that you're listening. Now, there's an art to asking follow-up questions. Uh, you see, follow-up questions prove that you're really interested in what people are saying. And you're actually investing in the conversation because now you're willing to wait again for their response. <laughs> Quakers uh, have a, uh, something that they call a clearness committee. Clearness committee uh, started in the early 1900s. A clearness committee is a group of friends. Uh, Quakers are also called the Society of Friends uh, who will gather around uh, a young professional and uh, without any vested interest, just ask them questions. When that individual is coming to a point in their lives when they have to make a decision about career or, 
or an advancement of some kind. Uh, they just sit around and ask clarifying questions with no vested interest and kind of draw out of the person what they're thinking and help to clarify their thoughts. Very much like modern day coaching, where modern day coaches aren't giving answers to the people they're coaching. They're just answering, asking clarifying questions in order to draw out of the people uh, what they're feeling, what they're thinking, and then help them make good decisions about their lives. Great questions also avoid what sometimes is called conversational narcissism. <laughs> uh, this is uh, asking questions that center on self rather than on the other person. And, and perhaps you've had this happen to you where, where the question being asked really isn't a genuine question intending to clarify something, but really is intended to uh, reveal something about the person asking the question. Here's an example. Sam says, I watched a good documentary the other day on sea lions. And Jim answers, I don't watch documentaries. I like action movies. You see how Jim has moved the conversation to be about himself and not about Sam? Rather, Sam says, I watched a good documentary on sea lions. And Jim answers, sea lions? What did you learn? You see what the conversation has just moved back away from conversation on nar narcissism back towards Sam. And Sam says, yeah, they like sushi. <laughs> Good questions don't impose an opinion, but elicit more information. Sometimes our questions are really our opinions in disguise. That's conversational narcissism. In order to ask good questions, you have to be curious. Eric Betzig, Nobel Prize winner in chemistry, said, everyone is born a scientist. It's unfortunate that with a lot of people, it gets beat out of them. Kids ask a lot of questions. They're very curious. My granddaughter, sitting on my knee a few weeks ago, looked at me and said, Grandpa, why are your teeth yellow? <laughs> I thought, well, you know what? I need to see the dentist more often. My grandson uh, last week was sitting in my truck, and uh, he, was, he had to touch every button in the truck. He had to turn every knob in the truck. He had to beep the horn incessantly because of his incredible curiosity about what makes this work? What's happening here? Kids are curious, sometimes embarrassingly so, but they're curious. And good listeners have a childlike curiosity about the person that they're talking to. Well, let's listen like Jesus and ask great questions, questions that seek clarity, questions that avoid hiding our opinions in the question, questions that avoid conversational narcissism, and questions that come from our curiosity about other people. Let's pray. So, Father, we thank you that um, you can help us to be curious about people, to ask great questions. Help us to understand that, that asking questions is an important part of listening carefully to what people are saying. Help us to avoid ask, asking questions, uh, really, that are just disguised uh, opinions. Help us just to be genuinely interested in clarifying what people are saying to us so that we have an opportunity to learn and help 
those who we are in conversation with. Help us to trust your Holy Spirit in people's lives and, and, and help us to know that we don't have to have all the answers when people ask us questions, but we can rely on your Holy Spirit to lead people and guide people and bring them to truth. So, Lord, help us to listen like Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. The question of the day is, can you determine in your next conversation to ask clarifying questions? Think about that. We're going to give you a few a, a minute or so to think and pray about that, and I'll come back with concluding comment. School is just starting, and uh, kids will be off to school, our grandchildren, our children are going to school, and, and I think it's important to ask great questions of our kids about what they're learning at school. I think sometimes as parents or grandparents, we, we devolve into asking yes and no answers, uh, questions that just will give us yes and no answers, such as, uh, you know, have you done your homework? Uh, was it a good day today? Or, or you know, uh, questions, and most of the kids just kind of shrug and, and, and don't really answer. But here are a couple great questions to ask kids. Uh, what was the best thing that happened to you today? And then follow that up with, what was the most challenging thing that happened to you today? And I think when you ask those kinds of questions, you're going to elicit a better response than questions like, what did you learn in school today? Or uh, uh, have you uh, remembered to bring home your lunchbox? So the Lord bless you as you continue to learn to ask great questions. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.